Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for being with us today. I've been really looking forward to the show today. We're going to talk about mixed-use developments. Mixed-use developments has really been around for a long time, but it's seemingly more important these days. And we've got a great panel to talk about it today with a very diverse group on the panel here. I think you're going to get a good look at mixed-use development. Please welcome Patty Pearlberg, partner with Coro Realty Advisors. Coro develops, owns, and manages commercial and residential properties throughout the Southeast U.S. Patty, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. I appreciate you having me. Also, uh, please welcome Rob Swedberg, principal with TVS Design, a world-renowned architectural Firm. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thanks for having us, Michael. Also, please welcome Seth Wiseman, partner with Wiseman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco, my favorite law firm. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Seth. Good to be with you. And let's get right to it. I think, you know, one of the things I'd like to start out with is I think a lot of people have a perception of mixed use in whatever their perception is, but mixed use can really mean a lot of different things, can't it, Patty? Absolutely. I think that that's the first key when having this conversation is. Uh, mixed use is not what so many people think forcing different uses within the same structure it's really more land planning it all has to do with putting a variety of uses in close proximity that we can all benefit from it yeah that's a good point it's not just a a high-rise with two uses is it yeah yeah Michael at its best mixed use kind of reflects the lifestyle that of the patterns that need to work on the site so what's going to be successful is what's going to make sense in people's lives as they flow from use to use to use and the the real advantage is everything's just closer together and it's more convenient and less dependent on getting in your car and driving around and rob as you're designing these and and these developers come to you and you've seen a lot of these these developments and i think we've learned a lot over the, over the last several years especially throughout the downturn about the different uses and, and how they interact if you could start out with you know what are some of the uses that do work well together and are there's some that don't well pretty much anything goes but it's really site dependent and market dependent so kind of the holy trinity would be residential office and retail is probably the core to all of them but more and more you're seeing hospitality in the mix you're seeing cultural things in the mix you're seeing you know whatever's going to make a, a, a vibrant place and is going to be you can get a deal done right and these developments mixed use i mean patty they're they're important for the community aren't they and the consumers Absolutely. You know, again, when you go back to the definition that it's just putting a variety of uses in close proximity to each other, what you're doing is you're really creating instant walkability. So many of our um, jurisdictions and cities around the country are trying to force people out of their cars, and this is one way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of, of, of not having a car. I mean, uh, we live in Atlanta, and it's a really car city, yeah. you know. But, boy, it'd be nice just to get out and walk to, to, to do things. And I know I've got some uh, friends at my age that are really wanting to get back into that lifestyle that, you know, have surprised me. And, and uh, but, but, Seth, uh, some of the, the, the city planners and, and some of the zoning officials, you know, uh, how open are they to mixed use? And do you get any pushback from – it seems like these cities – municipalities they want mixed use but are they always receptive to what you need when it comes to zoning well you know I think what city planners are taught is you want walkable and you want vibrant Mm -hmm. and most planners think almost formulistically that the only way to achieve that is to have all the ground floor be retail and 
if you can fill the retail and it's the right retail, then it, it's a great formula. But not every development can fill ground floor retail everywhere. And I think part of what the planners have to learn is, um, you know, how do we create vibrancy with some other uses besides retail on the ground floor? You know, can you have office uses or um, other kinds of even residential uses that um, generate the same interest? Because at the end of the day, when people walk, they want something interesting to look at. That's a good point, and we've all seen those mixed-use developments where some of the retail sitting empty for long periods of time. Well, what else would you guys say to city planners and officials that, that want to bring mixed-use to their city, uh, but maybe they've got some rules and regs in their zoning that are prohibiting it? Again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but mm -hmm. it's it really is about thinking proximity, mm -hmm. not forcing it into the same structure, and it is uses. Today, we've got medical offices that want to be in a retail environment. They want the convenience for their patients. Well, many of the suburban areas don't define that as retail, so they won't allow it on these first floor. So it's a real education process. And then the other is, what is mixed use? Mixed use is different types of residential. You've got quality rental, entry-level housing, move-up housing, and if we can get our city planners thinking in those terms, not just the idea that you have retail first floor, office above, or residential above, I think we'll get much more um, vibrant communities. Yeah, and you know, if I could add one thing, I, I think the biggest mistake, particularly suburban cities are making, is they say they want mixed use, but they're not willing to zone for the residential density needed to support it. And that's a huge problem. You know, they, they want all of these cool retail uses, but those retail uses need large numbers of people to support them. And there's a reluctance to put that kind of residential in these projects. They also need residential, Seth, with discretionary income. And that's renters oftentimes. These are the people that go out, they use the services, they eat in the restaurants. And when you've got suburban areas that say they don't want any rental, they are really putting a formula together that doesn't work for mixed use. And I guess that's changed a little bit. It seems like renters uh, are higher income these days than they used to be, and some of the rents are getting pretty high. I'm like, I saw a rent on an apartment, 1,000 square foot apartment the other day, and I'm like, I don't know if I can afford that. <laughs> I think I'll stay in my house. <laughs> and you talked about, you know, medical being these spaces. You know, I'd like to get my knee fixed and go to the bar next, right next door, right, right afterwards. And Maybe you go before. <laughs> <laughs> we, right. Well, you know, Michael, the, the, the goal of the authorities is to have in the, to not preclude the street life and the walkability in the future, but there are intermediate ways to allow flexibility in the short term when it may not be economically viable to have a retail tenant there, but to provide the space and the infrastructure so that, you know, in the future when the development on one side and the other side and the area comes around that you can then transition that space into something that, that better serves the street. Okay. Patty, are there any other things that you would tell city planners and zoning officials to that they might want to consider adjusting to attract more mixed-use development? Well, I think one of the issues that um, many of them are struggling with is trying to force people again out of their cars. So they're looking at putting caps on how much parking you can have. And 
as much as city planners probably hate it, what we really need is more flexibility. Um, if you give a developer a little bit of license to be creative, you're gonna get those projects that bring all the different uses into one area and you will get the cross shopping and live, work, play that they're all searching for. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think a lot of people want to visit that mixed-use environment so they can go see a movie and shop. They don't necessarily have to live there uh, and, and visit, but they've got to drive there in a lot of places and because they're not all on, on mass transit, are they? Yeah, but as you said before, seriously, you'd like to go get your doctor's appointment taken care of, yeah. maybe run a few errands at the store, yeah. stick around, have dinner that evening, and you don't necessarily go upstairs to live. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, if I could just add one comment, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of different ways to activate a street. Mm -hmm. And again, people want things that are interesting to look at, and they like looking at other people. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can have a residential use on the ground floor with stoops where people sit outside that's a great place to walk. It doesn't always have to be retail. I think the other challenge is that what a lot of city planners sometimes want are these Disneyland sets that are really not sustainable in the long run. You know, it, it may have a cool coffee shop or it may have one or two cool restaurants, but they're not places for where people can go grocery shopping or get their hair cut or get their dry cleaning done. And true sustainability is being able to get out of your car and have all of your needs met, not just the recreational ones. Right, and I guess the tenants are sometimes pushing back and telling you that they need something and then the zoning won't allow it, right? Absolutely, retailers, it's parking, parking, parking. Right. That's all they care about, it's what they ask. Actually, that's not true. They have a second question is, what am I paying for? that benefits somebody else besides me. Right. And so, you know, that's where we need the creativity um, allowance from the city planners to let us do things to satisfy those needs. Right. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk more about mixed-use developments. I'm Michael Bull. This is The Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Hey, today we're talking about mixed-use developments. We have a great panel with Rob Swedberg, principal with TVS Design, Seth Wiseman, a partner with Wiseman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco, and Patty Pearlberg with Coral Realty Advisors. And, you know, a big part of uh, any development in real estate is the financing, right? Getting the lenders on board. Patty, how are lenders? Are they receptive to mixed-use developments today, and has that changed? I think over the last few years, the big lenders uh, coming in to do major projects, your life companies, the conduits, they're pretty comfortable with it. But Freddie, Mac, and, and Fannie are still struggling. So when you are looking at a multifamily project, they want to limit the amount of income that's coming from the commercial sector. And then when you've got residential condominium owners um, they have a very difficult time. If you have an HOA where above 25% of the HOA dues are coming from commercial, these residential owners have a really, really difficult time getting financing for their individual homes. And Seth, is there a way to work around that? 
Well, you know, I think the world's become a lenders do understand mixed use. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's happened as a result of the downturn is lenders are asking much harder questions about if the project goes belly up, what is it that we're going to own and how do we control this association? So we are seeing on the due diligence side, lenders doing a lot more due diligence than they ever did. And frankly, it from an, uh, an attorney fee cost, when you are doing mixed use, it is much more expensive to do it because you're going to have to spend a lot more making your lender's lawyers happy with that it's a, it, it, that the lender's collateral is protected. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, and, I, and I was really proud to have you on the show because you guys were so experienced, you in particular, with associations uh, over the years. And, and that's a big part of, the, of how these, these uses interact, right, both in the, in the legal and the design uh, phase. Uh, what are some tips that you would provide for developers, let's say, on the design part of it uh, with, with the way these uses interact? I mean, if I'm a if I'm a tenant and they're cooking something right below me, I don't like every day. You know, you know the biggest complaints obviously sound and noise yeah. uh, from be- either between the the retail and the residential, or mm-hmm. or you know I can remember a story of somebody put like a aerobics um, studio right below residential and you just couldn't attenuate that sound. I think mm-hmm. um, making breaks in the in the facade and in the in the design of the building. So that it's clear what's what's one use and what's another, and then you know you uh, makes it easier to maintain the the building. Yeah, yeah. If I I could add, being a, a great designer as I as I am not, <laughs> um, you know, I think when you're doing retail, you really want to try to not have stick frame retail, and then stick built residential over stick frame retail. Mm-hmm. I think what you want very much to try to do is to have some concrete or a podium separating the noisy retail use from the residential above. Um, And you really do want to focus on sound attenuation between the retail and the residential. I mean, I've had situations where residential units were over sports bars and the big game then gets played in the sports bar and it literally makes the residential uninhabitable. And, you know, developers don't want that where they, lit, where they have some number of units that they can't give away because of the amount of noise coming from the retail use. Yeah, I think that the key to all of this, though, is really planning. If you think down the road, although you may start out as apartments in the residential sector, that ultimately you want to sell them as individual units, um, you want to think that through when you're setting up the legal structure. Um, you want to plan for it. You want to understand what lenders will come in and take you out, so to speak. So if you can break it up, whether you do it physically with the architecture, you do it legally with the structure of your documents. Um, But certainly on the retail side, you then incorporate it into those commercial leases so you have some control. And Patty talked about the importance of parking in general with the, the importance of segregating parking between visitors, residents, retail parking is really important. You go into a lot of mixed-use developments and you're just faced with a parking deck and sometimes a not even very nice parking deck and it's very confusing for someone who's not there all the time to know where they're going and then if they're stuck behind uh, somebody who doesn't know where they're going and you're a resident then that's that's an inconvenience as well. So I think the parking can be planned so that it's a really uh, clear and straightforward for every 
use. Yeah, I, I think the other thing we see a lot of challenges with is a lot, a lot of times architects will design one way to take out the trash, but they don't fully appreciate that in many cases you're dividing ownership where you really need, if you've got three owners, you need three different ways to take out the trash, not just one way, because the owner of one of the uses doesn't really want some other owner traipsing over his property to take out the trash. And it really requires, and I think it's unfortunate, some duplication of, of internal services when people are sharing a building um, and, you know, I think there's just some catch-up being played in the design field to address the practical realities of people are sharing a building, but they still want their own delivery service, their own trash service, their, you know, they want their own lobbies. So even though it's one building, you often still see the internal uses all being d divvied up. Yeah, and that's a good point. And you also talked about the lenders. If the, if the transaction goes belly up and they get it back, they'd like to know that what they have and that it's clean. And also, uh, if you're going to sell uh, the property, so if you develop it with, with one owner, uh, for instance, and then you're going to sell off the asset, well, you know, we sell apartments and we sell retail. Well, people who buy retail pay more for retail. People who buy apartments will buy apartments will pay more so you really want to have that that separate uh, th those separations very clear in the legal paperwork don't you as far as the association and how the how the properties handled in that regard yes and you know mm -hmm. most of them most mixed-use projects are actually set up as mm -hmm. master condominiums mm -hmm. where each land use is organized as one master unit mm -hmm. And what we're actually seeing are more and more developers, even if they're going to own the entire asset for five years, seven years, 10 years, they are often creating that condominium structure from day one because it allows them to put different debt on different pieces of the overall deal. And it also gives them a chance, frankly, to set up a condo structure and test it while they are the owner of the entire project. Because if there's something in the legal documents or in the design that doesn't work, it, it frankly allows them to try to fix it as best they can while they're still in control of the entire deal. And in setting up some of these deals, what we look at is development down the road. And you can use the legal structure of a mixed use to allow yourself to uh, essentially eliminate all of the setbacks that might be required from a subdivision if you are trying to put in different uses just adjacent to each other and allows you to maximize the use of your site. So that's some of that planning and thinking ahead that we try to do. Right. Well, and not, I want to ask a lot more questions. I have a lot more questions for you. Have to take a short break. We'll have more on mixed-use developments. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Take your next step in real estate with Florida International University. Earn your fully online master's in real estate in just 10 months. Learn how to apply the best practices in accounting, taxation, and finance to make sound real estate investments from an outstanding faculty of recognized real estate experts. With our Fast Track Fully Online program, you can earn your master's in real estate without interrupting your career. 
Learn more at FIUonline.com. Visit FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. We're talking about mixed-use development today with Patty Perlberg and Rob Swedberg and Seth Wiseman. And one thing that I'd like to ask you guys about and make sure I get this in, I know all the listeners are curious about this, is you can't have a successful development without tenants. So what happens when, you, when you're trying to get retail tenants in a mixed-use development, maybe in an urban setting, and they've got to look at changing their model? <laughs> well, a great example of that is in Atlanta at the very well-known uh, Brownfield redevelopment of Atlantic Station. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the original big box uses that was wanting to go in there was Walmart, and they had never done anything in, t- in town. And so we did a bunch of schemes for them that showed you had to have, you know, structured parking, you had to have escalators, you had to move people around, and they were not ready for that at the time. And uh, now they're using that model in other places, but they were just a little ahead of the time on that. But it's a big education on some of these uh, tenants that are used to being in open greenfield sites, but their customers are in town. So they gave you a funny look. They they ran away (laughs) pretty fast. Are you kidding me? (laughs) The the other thing you see with tenants is I I find tenants asking lots of questions about who's going to control whether I want to change my signage. And is that going to be someone who really understands retail or is there going to be some crazy residential condo owners? And when I say that, I'm not saying they're crazy, but the, but the retail owners are, or retail tenants are scared of the residential owners. You know, they're afraid that they may have different standards for how the exterior grounds will be maintained or that they won't be flexible in allowing the retail use to adapt to changing circumstances. Seth, that's a great point, Um, which going back to what we talked about before with the legal aspects of it, um, you're right, the retail tenants wanna know that their retail landlord calls the shots. And if you can set that structure up where you segregate these uses legally and give the authority there, um, it makes them much more comfortable. Yeah, because you know, we've worked on projects where literally 90% or 95% of the of the physical space in a mixed-use project was residential. And the retail owners or the retail tenants were saying, that's all well and good, but we're not going to locate here unless it's a residential owner who's calling the shots for the development. Yeah, we um, actually have a niche that we invest in buying the retail segments of these mixed-use projects. And one of the very first things that we look at is who has the controlling votes. And quite honestly, if the residential has the controlling votes, we will probably pass from the investment. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it's scary. If you've been involved in a, in a condo development, I've owned some, owned some condos down in Florida, and when those folks get together and vote on things, they're not, they're, they didn't come from fields where they control commercial real estate. And I and I ha- have I've managed big buildings and renovated them and so they start making decisions I just shake my head I don't get involved I mean I just, <laughs> I just get frustrated. Well, let's talk about design features for 
mixed-use developments, you know, especially when we've been through a downturn. I think that's when the, the real problems will come out if there's any problems in design, right? Yeah, and, and the first deals that came out of the, that have come out of the downturn that we're working on are revolving around transit. Mm-hmm. And so is it as a design feature, designing with transit in place um, seems to be the first place coming out. The other, the other is, is a continuation that really happened before the downturn about curating kind of an experience at a mixed-use development. The ones that are super successful are the ones that give you something unique that aren't kind of the cookie cutter that have a, a very unique appeal. A lot of historic conversion projects have been very successful because it, it's, uh, it's, it's something that can't easily be, be copied by somebody else, typically in a dense area where there's not land to copy it. And what are some examples of some of the, the features and amenities that are new in mixed-use development or maybe are coming down the pike? Well, I think, you know, it's one of the interesting overlays of sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of different users in, in a mixed-use development are looking at sustainability differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially on the residential side, when you're selling residential, there has to be at least a sustainability story on it. Mm-hmm. I think the um, a degree of open space. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many discussions you get into at dog parks and dog walks and the ability of, of people to, um, to uh, kind of live the lifestyle they want. Even on office projects, people want to be able to bring pets into the office space. And that's something um, that has to get worked out early on. Is there open space? Is there grass? Is there green space? Yeah, I, I also think that some of the tenants you're seeing, you know, I worked on a very large project in Atlanta called Pond City Market. And, you know, some of the uses they're planning there, you know, they're planning to have a butcher cutting meat in a very prominent spot in the retail area. You know, that's not something that you would typically see, but, you know, you have developers looking at how do you create unique experiences and butchers or tattoo parlors even um, are finding their way into mixed use because the nature of what tenants want is changing. Yeah, you put a vegetarian over the unit. We'll be right back. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404 832 8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any real estate related subject, check out our on demand show podcast. Go to commercialrealestateshow.com. You'll see videos, you'll see audios, you'll see uh, blogs. You'll see everything you want about commercial real estate. Well, today we're talking about mixed-use development. Our panel today is Rob Swedberg with TVS Design, Seth Wiseman with uh, Wiseman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco, and Patty Perlberg, a partner with Coral Realty Advisors. And I like to talk about some of the mistakes that people might want to think about avoiding, right? Uh, that's always popular. I don't want to make any mistakes. So, Seth, start us out. It seems like with mixed-use developments, the way the association rules and regs and how everything's controlled on the association documents could be really crucial. Well, I, clearly that's true. And I think one of the mistakes that we've seen, I think, in the first cycle of mixed use are the legal documents being far too complicated. And I think people forget sometimes that 
you know, there are many users of these documents, and it's more than the lawyers or the lenders who are looking at these documents. It's, it's regular folks who are living in these kinds of communities. And as we go through the next generation of mixed-use legal documents, our focus is on dumbing them down and trying to make them much more simpler and easier to understand. And I think there are a couple of areas in particular. One is um, with regards to who pays what. It needs to be very simple and very clear or you're going to end up in litigation. Same with regards to who maintains different portions of the development. But um, lawyers like to say things in complicated ways, and unfortunately, we are working with lots of communities after the fact that have five and six layers of private government. And in my opinion, that's just too much, too much private government. You don't need documents that are, uh, you know, a, a foot thick. And we need to do a much better job in keeping things simple. And you also have to look ahead uh, as a lawyer in that situation for many, many years down the road with those documents, right? Because sometimes those documents can't be changed if the different parcels are sold and condos are sold. So what are some things that uh, might surprise people that you've got to look out for down the road in those documents? Well, frankly, you know, you're creating a, a, a legal structure that's going to last forever. And I, I don't know, I, I don't think the city planners have fully appreciated that effectively you cannot change the uses or the exterior appearance without everyone's blessing. And I, I hope to God that the architects are really designing projects that are not going to become dated mm -hmm. because as a practical matter, the legal structures are so complicated that we're moving into a world where these mixed-use projects are likely going to look the same way in 50 years and 100 years simply because the legal structures are so complex it will take everybody's consent to um, approve changes and th that's actually a bit of a dangerous trend because when architects historically have made mistakes and designed ugly buildings, we tear them down after <laughs> 30 years because it's a single owner who owns it all. When you have 50 owners or multiple owners, much harder to get everyone to agree. And that's a good point. And, and let's talk about the, the design features. What are some mistakes to avoid in the design? I think that's a good point. Don't design something that's going to be nice today and, and that 10 years or even 50 years down the road, we, we, we hate it, right? Yeah, Michael. And I think another big one is you have to look out of your site, outside of your site for both problems and opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, the larger the development, the more impactful it's going to be, the more the traffic and getting people onto the site is important. And if there's an impediment down the road, part of that project is going to be trying to address that impediment. Uh, there's also opportunities. Um, if a park's going to be developed or something else is going in the future, you don't want to do anything that's going to either preclude it or turn your back on something that's going to be a real asset to the overall project. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're really having to look far ahead in that design more so than any other type of project. Yeah, you have to be aware. You have to talk to the city planning people. You have to talk to neighboring landowners and stakeholders mm -hmm. and understand kind of where that community and development's going over, where people seeing going over as long as time as you can predict. Mm -hmm. And Patty, what do you think about some mistakes that uh, 
you would warn folks uh, about mixed-use development? Well, it all really comes down to planning ahead because the operations can be very complicated. Seth mentioned earlier trash. Mm -hmm. um, that may seem like a very simple item to take care of, but it can be one of the most difficult. When you have restaurants, when they have grease that has to be taken care of, um, and you have residential folks, you have high-end retailers, you've got uh, recycling for cardboard. This all takes up a lot of space. And you wanna think about the logistics of getting it from the operators to their providers and off the property as efficiently as possible. You know, we've, we've worked with some mixed-use developments where you had a restaurant serving fish in the summertime and the trash room was not conditioned space and no one really thought of the consequences of having tons of rotten fish <laughs> rotting beneath a residential development and you know those are the kinds of mistakes developers in the first round made that frankly they're now getting smarter about well in basic operations the restaurants close down at 11 o'clock they take their trash to the trash room um, most jurisdictions don't allow trash pickup till after seven o'clock the next morning. So while you're sleeping, it's sitting there rotting. <laughs> That's another tip for us city planners, right? Yeah. You might want to allow the trash to be taken out. Well, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by RealCrowd. RealCrowd lets you invest directly into shares of cash-flowing real estate with low investment minimums and the ease of investing online. Visit realcrowd.com radio. That's realcrowd.com radio. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking about mixed-use developments today with Patty Pearlberg and Rob Swedberg and Seth Wiseman. And a question I have for you, um, Patty, is how do you do a mixed-use development when you have all these different uses? I mean, it takes a lot of expertise to do a good development. And if you've got apartments and you've got retail and you've got all these uses, uh, how, do you, how do you do that? Well, you know, typically in the real estate business, everybody specializes in one type of use. And we've all been forced into looking at mixed use. And I think that the key today is bringing in experts, um, more collaboration. One of the things that our company does is we are really searching out uh, residential developers that need to have a retail component and trying to get in with them up front. We've bought numerous projects that failed We've bought the retail and commercial components and have been able to turn those around, but it sure would have been better to get in up front. Yeah, that's a good tip. And let's get some other tips for uh, people involved in mixed-use developments. Rob? Well, I think number one is to make it funky. I think that uh, developers and architects have gotten very sophisticated about making, you know, curated experiences and, and, and interesting kind of experience-based places, but they tend to be a little generic. So I, you know, I think the trend you see in the future is it, it needs to be edgy. It needs to have a hook. It needs to have a degree of funkiness. I think that making it old timey just isn't going to cut it in the competitive marketplace. Okay. And you know, my tip would really be more for the people occupying mixed use, whether they're a tenant or a residential owner or tenant. But I, I think 
people need to have very realistic expectations about living in mixed use because while the architects and developers are trying hard to create urban vibrancy or vibrancy period the reality is when you have uses in close proximity to one another you will have some issues with smells <laughs> you'll have some issues with um, sound and you'll have some issues with uh, with visual issues with light mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily going to be where everything is perfect and you have complete privacy the reality is there's an upside to mixed use um, but there's also some downside and I think if a person comes to the table with realistic expectations they will be much happier um, with the end result. That's a good point. You're not living in the country. It's called mixed use for a living, right? Right. And Patty, what about a tip for the management of these properties, and which might be interesting to everyone who's a tenant or a, an owner in these units? I mean, it's a very difficult management situation, isn't it? You know, it is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, here in Atlanta, actually, one of the things we're struggling with is management personnel that understand all the different uses. Um, this is relatively new for us. And oftentimes in our big projects, we're looking outside the city to hire. So uh, my two cents of advice to people in the property management business is broaden your horizons. Learn other aspects of the commercial real estate industry so that you can really create your own job niche. Well, that's a good point, and we have a lot of smart listeners that are in the property management business that are learning a lot about different types of real estate. By listening to this show, we get a lot of feedback from, from property managers. Well, what about a, another design tip uh, for mixed use? Well, I think something we're learning how to do better is working with the jurisdictions and key stakeholders, neighbors, on, on the early planning of a project to figure out how to make it work with everybody's needs a little better so you're not coming in and fighting the neighborhood from day one but you're sitting down and and having them part of the process to figure out kind of what's appropriate for the site what works on this site and it takes a little bit more effort but i think it makes the process go a lot smoother yeah, yeah. and uh, if i could also add from the design perspective i happen to think that the mixed use projects that operationally work the best are the ones where they have done more to physically separate uses within a building. So if your residential is sitting on a podium um, separated from the retail, tends to make all of the owners a, a little happier. Well, thanks for joining us for the Commercial Real Estate Show on Mixed Use. Join us next week. Until next week, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by RealCrowd, crowdfunding for institutional quality real estate. Visit realcrowd.com slash radio. Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit fiuonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com and France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit francemediainc.com.